Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricard Silvestre. And what a great episode we have today. We'll be talking about European Union digital strategic autonomy. I'm going to have on the podcast for this conversation, Professor Gerard Pogorel. He is a professor emeritus of economics at the Institut Polytechnique de Paris, also Telecom Paris Graduate School of Engineering, and Dr. Antonio Nesteras. He's a coordinator of Policy and Research Unit at ELF, we just had on the last podcast. They are the authors and also editors of a publication that is going to be presented by the European Liberal Forum called Decoding EU Digital Strategic Autonomy, Sectors, Issues and Partners. And as you will see by the conversation, there's a lot to be done in this area where we're going to be working inside the European Union with our partners and also with our adversaries. And after our conversation, I'll be back to tell you about some of the events organized by ELF for this month of June. I'm here with Professor Pogorel and Dr. Nestoras. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Hello for inviting us. Thank you for having us. Good. It's great to have you both and in important topics, which is European strategic autonomy. And actually, it's going to be a mini series of podcasts. But I'll start with you, Professor. And that is, as a starting point, let's define to our listeners what we mean by European strategic autonomy. And then with Antonio, I'm going to ask you the same question in a different perspective. So, Professor, take it away. Well, strategic uh, digital autonomy uh, has come to the front r rather recently, I'd say, in the in, at, at European Union level in the last two years. But it is a follow-up on a, a concern which had been ex uh, expressed previously at political level uh, in the European Union, but mostly focusing on the defense and general uh, policy issues. Maybe, Antonio, so you'd like to, to say a little bit more about the, this notion of strategic autonomy in general for the European Union. This is the latest uh, buzzword to come in the, in the EU-Brussels uh, uh, ecosystem. It's a relatively recent term. Uh, I mean, it's been in the, in the EU policymaking debates since 2016. It has mentioned the Council conclusions of 2016. I mean, the more abstract definition of strategic autonomy is very simple, is the, cap the capacity to act autonomously when and where necessary and uh, with uh, partners whenever that is uh, possible. So that's a, a definition that everyone can agree on more or less you know it carries it is politically loaded it carries with it a lot of uh, implications and it requires a lot of different uh, actions uh, policies infrastructures and that's where things are getting more complicated both in political terms and in policy terms and there are um, rightfully i would say since this is a new concept a new uh, objective. Rightfully, then, there is a lot of uh, suspiciousness sometimes, especially from our traditional partners like the US. So what does the EU mean with strategic autonomy? Where is the focus? Is it on the autonomy? Is it on the strategic? Some people fear that this is another word for protectionism. So it is uh, essential, uh, especially for uh, research institutes like us, to try and clarify things and, and try uh, bring clarity into the debate 
in order to facilitate future development of the concept uh, in, in, in policy terms, but also facilitate the understanding and the uh, cooperation between uh, between partners, EU and its and its partners. From our point of view, strategic autonomy is nothing. It's is nothing like protectionism. It's not an excuse to be. To, to create a, a protectionist framework uh, for trade or for any for any other reason, uh, it is uh, a way to uh, consolidate the EU's institutional structures, the EU's industrial policies, and its uh, and the regulations governing various sectors of the uh, economy, especially digital uh, policies. Uh, and this is uh, something that uh, we can elaborate in in, in the next uh, uh, few minutes. But uh, essentially, it is it is it is a good development. It is it is good for for everyone. We have to uh, strike uh, fine deals uh, on what we mean and how we help uh, strategic autonomy emerge. Uh, but um, at the end of the day, uh, I believe it's going to be beneficial for. The EU first and foremost, the EU member states, uh, but also its uh, partners governing the world, uh, basically. Uh, it's going to be beneficial for the world governance and the governance of the digital economy and not only. Professor Pogarel, do you want to add something to this uh, description before we move then to the second part, as Antonio was just saying? Yeah, well, I'll say that the, the point Antonio just made is very important, that autonomy is not protectionism. And it, uh, it, we have to make this clear because, well, we, we still have for a, a few weeks uh, under the, the French presidency of the Union, and the, the, uh, Macron uh, uh, likes to say, we want a, a Europe that protects but so this, of course, is interesting at uh, at a very high level. But at at practical level, uh, for for us, when we when we think about practical policy decisions in in areas of industries and particular in the digital industries, it's it's very important to stress for uh, for the the public, for citizens, and for for our institutions that uh, uh, pr protecting the, doesn't mean protectionism. Uh, pr protecting means, uh, and le let me uh, pu put it very strongly, protecting means being very efficient, being very competitive in order to be up to the challenges of the future. So protecting means being innovative. And uh, because if if protecting is uh, a protectionist, the, let's not fool ourselves. Uh, protectionism means lower incomes for citizens and uh, less welfare. In pr a protectionist economy is a poor economy. Uh, the, this is very important. So to be to to be uh, for for Europe to to protect uh, its citizens, it means for Europe to be innovative, for Europe to be competitive. Do, do, do you do you share this uh, this this view, Antonios? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It is a very competitive uh, and unforgiving world, and it's becoming uh, more so. There is a. Um, some people talk about a new Cold War and a new showdown between the two uh, superpowers, quote unquote. Uh, also, we have more assertive uh, authorita authoritarian powers. We see what's happening with uh, with Russia. 
and uh, Russia's invasion in Ukraine. So it's, um, I would add, apart from the innovation factor and the com- competitiveness factor, I would also act, uh, add the security factor. I, I would say that increasingly the world needs a more autonomous, strategically autonomous Europe. But I would make this sort of clarification or disclaimer, let's, let's put it like this. It's um, uh, some people put too much focus on the autonomous, on the autonomy part, and less focus on the strategic part. But autonomy, as it's not, it doesn't mean, uh, strategic autonomy doesn't mean that it is protectionism. It also doesn't mean that it is isolationism, that we act alone. You have to have the capacity to act alone, and that's the autonomy part of the concept, but you have to be strategic about it and that's equally important meaning that you can have the capacity to work alone but you don't use that capacity all all the time as a principle you first and foremost try to cooperate with the traditional allies and your partners your strategic partners and so on so yes it's not protectionism it's not isolationism it is to protect the european economy and its citizens both in economic terms and competitive uh, terms but uh, also in terms of security very good then i'll stay with you antonios for a quick top line here because you were mentioning exactly that it has to be more than autonomy it has to be also cooperation but on the other hand, and you were just saying there are dangers um, and some buzzwords, you were just mentioning buzzwords, some of them are strengthening independence, safeguarding resilience, safeguarding security. And this is we're talking about digital means, infrastructures. But who are we strengthening them and protecting them against? So go a little more into detail in here regarding this kind of concern. And we can use this opportunity to go to go through uh, to, to go to the digital uh, sector which is also um, the topic of uh, an upcoming elf study uh, that we are going to be publishing in the next uh, month or so with the collaboration of many um, um, prominent uh, 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 scholars and uh, individuals from the um, uh, te- telecom communication sectors and digitalization environment as I said, the, the authoritarian powers are becoming more assertive. And we've seen that not only Russia has been trying to influence certain European countries, but uh, also China and a host of other states uh, as well, uh, Arab states, uh, Turkey too. So we, we have to find a way to protect ourselves from, in, from, from foreign influence. Uh, some parts of Europe, especially uh, Western Balkans and Southeastern Europe, but also Eastern Europe, obviously, uh, because of, uh, of uh, what is happening in, uh, in Ukraine, because of the war in Ukraine, uh, are more exposed than others. And the, we, we live in a world where the, uh, the cyberspace is the fifth domain of war. Right. Um, It's been officially accepted as the fifth domain of war by NATO. Uh, And it's difficult to divide 
the digital economy. It's difficult to divide the cyberspace in our cyberspace and their cyberspace. So there, there are always opportunities for uh, penetration. Does that, but thus, this does not mean that we are helpless. There are ways to secure the quality of our information, uh, the infrastructure, the access, then the control to the infrastructure that is necessary for the cyberspace and, and, and the digital economy to function. And, and this is exactly what we're trying to examine in the uh, upcoming study uh, concerning strategic digital autonomy. So in order to give you just one aspect of it that I know well, and then I can give the floor to, to Gerard, 5G infrastructure. We are currently rolling out uh, 5G infrastructure across uh, Europe. The choice of uh, the manufacturers of this of the equipment that is necessary in order to roll out the 5G is an important choice also for security reasons. So imagine if all the equipment that we use for 5G, basically for the transmission, uh, storage, uh, and sharing of information in Europe, comes from state-owned Chinese companies. That can potentially, and will, in my view, potentially create security breaches and security concerns, threats. We need to uh, discuss, uh, do some research on that, and decide on how we are going to deal with these threats. This is a challenge. Uh, but this happens also in a as I said, in a range of other sectors that in one or another way uh, contribute to the digitalization of Europe, like uh, semiconductors, for, for another example, telecommunication. Gerard knows better the auctions of uh, spectrum frequencies and auctions of spectrum frequencies. So all this is important, not only for the digital economy, but also for security uh, reasons. And with this, I will pass the floor to Gerard. Before that, Professor, uh, let me just add something, because you were going to react to what Antonio just said. But on the other hand, we were talking about also cooperation. And sometimes even with our adversaries, we have to cooperate with them. And you from the academic world, I'm quite sure you understand this uh, world of better communication and people working with the same goals. So apart from what Antonio just said, I'm going to ask you to react. Then you can, if you please, go a little bit into that. Is there a hope that there will be more collaboration, even in this more very competitive and, and, and brutal uh, environment? There are two, two levels of analysis which uh, I, uh, I think at this point are very important. First, practically speaking, what are we talking about in terms of technologies? And two, second, like you just said, what, what is the setup in terms of uh, autonomy, cooperations, etc.? So first, what technologies are we talking about? We are talking about technologies which are essential for the, the future. So if we, of course, we defense is important, energy is fundamental. We are focusing today and we will be, we are focusing in the book, which will be uh, out in a, in a few, uh, very few weeks. Uh, we, are, we are focusing on the digital area. So what are we talking about? We are talking about, uh, about networks and uh, in particular 6G. We are talking about artificial intelligence. And what we want from artificial intelligence is that it shouldn't be a, to make it short, it shouldn't be a black box. 
it should it should be uh, explainable it should be understandable because citizens and consumers must know what this is about it's, it's uh, this is also a question of uh, of democracy a question a question of autonomy and sovereignty so then uh, so we have artificial intelligence we have uh, we have uh, uh, chips uh, electronic components which are at the at the heart of all we 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 call them digital but they are at the heart of a all industrial sectors, we would say at, at this time, and not just industrial sectors, but also building and so uh, agriculture. So we we have technologies which are central. You you, you mentioned cybersecurity. I would say, of course, so cybersecurity is extremely important for for the for our autonomy. So we we have those technologies. In what way do we implement this future-looking and uh, autonomy-defined perspective? We, I would say we have three circles. First of all, autonomy has to be uh, looked into at European level. Europe has have, has to to gain some some kind of autonomy in the various areas we just mentioned computer chips artificial intelligence cybersecurity etc so this is the first circle we europe is a big market it's a, it's a, a fantastically uh, smart uh, region. Uh, we, uh, I, I would say, this, this is my experience. We have the best researchers in the world. So we we have uh, the f fantastically good minds. So with, we, Europe has to gain an edge in in all those technical areas. This is the first circle, dealing between U European countries and European entities, research centers, industries, etc. This is our first circle. A second very important circle is Europe and its allies. It, in the, in the, in the, we are not just talking now, now about uh, tariffs on uh, on cheese or on. Uh, uh, we we are talking about realigning technological developments between our between Europe and its allies. Uh, we, it, it, uh, we, have, we have begun, Europe has begun, and the US has begun, you know, getting rid of those uh, ridiculous trade conflicts. It, it's very important in the current worldwide uh, situation, it's very important that Europe, its allies, and I mean the our closest ally, the UK, UK, US, Japan, uh, Korea, Australia, uh, Taiwan. Uh, it's very important that the policy be established between Europe and its allies to coordinate uh, some, some, maybe most of our technological developments in the digital area. So we, we are we we must reach agreements on platforms. We must reach agreements on standards. We end the transatlantic transatlantic technological partnership, which had a, a meeting uh, last week. Decided to coordinate uh, uh, the industry developments on chips between Europe and and the U.S. So this is the second circle. The most delicate circle is the third circle, Europe and its rivals. 
And it's, we are not just talking about uh, trade tensions like we had uh, uh, just a few months ago. Here we, we are talking about uh, exi existential threats. And but still between Europe, US and Ch China, our economies and our technologies are still very much intertwined. Uh, th those means that we are uh, reciprocally dependent. Europe and China, just for, to take an example, are for the moment economically dependent on one another. And uh, many big companies in Europe make most or half of their business in China. And we have to deal with this situation. So the reciprocity here is very important. And the question, and the, this is very delicate issues, and uh, I, I must admit personally, I, I don't have all the, the answers, but our diplomats at European level, our European dip diplomats are working very, very hard to make China understand that we are reciprocally dependent, and uh, we uh, and we we must think of ourselves in Europe as being strong. We should not forget this because so, some, sometimes Europe is, is uh, considers itself as the good guy and the others as the bad guy. We we can be the bad guy, and uh, so it, it, it's important that we we keep in mind that we have three circles. A first circle of importance dealing between ourselves, achieving a certain level of strategic autonomy, which is the condition of sovereignty at European level, first circle. Second level, reinforce the relationships in, te in the technology area, but not just technology, but also defense. Huh? Uh, uh, reinforce the relationships between Europe and our allies, sharing the same values and sharing the same democratic vision this is the second circle. And then we have to work hard. The third circle, the, which uh, involves the countries with which we are economically uh, interdependent, but politically not, not an agreement. So that, that's, uh, that's the, the, the task ahead for the next few months and, and years, uh, I would say, uh, dealing with those three circles in a, a very organized and systematic way. That was a great description, the three circles, uh, something for us to keep following up here, even here in the podcast on the new episodes we'll have on this topic. But Antonio, I'll go to you because the second circle in particular, the one that Professor Pogorel already mentioned, all our allies, or at least if not allies, they lined up with our democratic values and even human values. And I would like to focus on one economic market in particular, and our listeners know that I'm always biased to talk about the United States, and I know that you are one of the right persons to do that. So when we're thinking about Australia and, and Korea, but United States, it's one of the major engines, and whenever they sneeze, uh, the entire uh, world economy uh, trembles. So what is your uh, vision on that? I also am, am a Big fan of uh, these three circles that Zahar uh, has just described, and I will get to the second circle. I'll try. I'll try also to contribute to that uh, co conception and say 
that strategic autonomy is exactly that, strengthening the core of the decision-making process in the union, which is a prerequisite for cooperation with partners, which in turn is a prerequisite for dealing with assertive authoritarian states, uh, economies, and their efforts to influence or or penetrate uh, the European continent. So these, starting from the core, which is a strategic autonomy part, going to the cooperation with uh, partners and allies uh, is the only way to manage the challenges of the new um, uh, balance of power in the international system. That's that's my point of view and my contribution to this uh, concentric circles uh, conception. Now, going specifically to the U.S., uh, EU-US relations. Um, I believe that the transatlantic relations have or will have to go into a new era, a new period. It's still the cornerstone of uh, the international order and it should remain so. Uh, but in order to remain so, we need to find a way to manage or govern the relations between US and the EU. Uh, specifically, I mean, quite literally, I'm using quite literally and consciously the word govern these relations, which means, uh, in my view, that uh, we need to create structures. Uh, It's not up to diplomatic initiatives anymore. It's not up to sharing common values. Uh, It's not up to... Uh, having good intentions as traditional partners and allies with uh, the full consciousness that uh, the, the, the whole world order depends on uh, our good cooperation, we need to create specific structures that govern our relationship. Uh, from the other side, the, the, the U.S. also needs to deal with efforts to create strategic autonomy from from uh, the EU, not to feel suspicious towards it. Um, and at the same time, they have to deal with the Brussels effect, especially when it comes to uh, regulation in the digital field. It seems like uh, Europe in general, whether strategic autonomy is uh, a strategic objective of the Union or not, uh, is making use of its Brussels effect, uh, especially in the digital sector. So this is something that needs to be managed. And in this respect, the Trade uh, and Technology Council, the TTC, is exactly uh, a step in the right direction. It is a forum, uh, a permanent and official formal structure that governs uh, EU-US relations, uh, at least on a, on a coordination uh, level, on a technical level, uh, more than a political level. Uh, but that's also, uh, that also needs to be replicated, let's say. We need to create more councils like that. For, for example, uh, it's just an idea that I'm floating um, in this podcast right now. We need to be creative, think out of the box when it comes to uh, US-EU relations because they are too significant to be left on to use <clears throat> traditional diplomatic uh, initiatives uh, between the US and uh, different uh, EU member states with various degrees of uh, uh, success and, and uh, understanding. 
uh, we need structures, we need international organization to happen between uh, the US and uh, EU. Uh, uh, and TTC, as I said, is a step in the right direction. Professor Pogorel, uh, before we go into our final thoughts, as we're getting into the end of our time together, but we will continue this series of conversations in the podcast. And Antonius, thank you so much flo for floating new and innovative ideas in our podcast. Professor, again, you were mentioning Japan, you're mentioning Korea, you're mentioning Australia. But do you agree uh, with Antonio's assessment that then this uh, working with the United States it's, uh, has to be even more of a specific need? Yes, of course. The, this is a cornerstone. And uh, on this topic, I would say I would like to say something. The, the discussions within the uh, transatlantic technology partnerships are uh, conducted by, by the commission itself. I, this is a very good thing, and I'm sure the, uh, the, the Commission has extensive relationships with all member states, of course, and all the industries. And I, I'd like to, to make this point very strongly for a strategic autonomy policy to be efficient in the digital area, there, there should be major inputs to the EU policy from the industry itself. Uh, in, in the past, we've had uh, uh, your wonderful ideas floated at policy level with no industrial reality. And we, uh, what we are talking here is uh, competences, scientific forecast, and so the and competences and scientific forecasts, of course, are pre present at the commission level, as institutional level, but the, the core of those competences and the research knowledge is in research centers, public, private universities, and industries. So the, the role of industries is central in shaping also EU-US relationships. So the, the, this is, a, uh, I think, a, a, a very central point, and uh, I would say, uh, also the same could be said with our relations with Japan, our relations with Korea, our, our relations with Australia. There's a new government, so they're, they're in Australia, so there might be a new start in the EU-US uh, relationships, and our Australian friends insist that we support the EU-Australia trade uh, the trade negotiation, which we uh, willing, very happily and willingly do. So the it's uh, uh, but in in all those cases, relying on on the knowledge and competences of the industries and research centers is is very important for our institutions, and and this is also a message for our uh, MEPs. Uh, that uh, the, we, we should take uh, uh, as much as we can for, for our policy orientations from industries and uh, academics and, uh, um, and, and uh, research centers. So because that, that's where the knowledge and the competences are. So the, this is a uh, this is my my, my central point. Uh, so in in the forthcoming book, 
a strategic digital autonomy. Uh, I'm sorry we don't have a cover yet because it's uh, at uh, the design stage, but the, we, we, like Antonio said, we, we have put together uh, top-level contributions, not only on vertical issues, so to say, like cybersecurity, industry, strategy, etc., but also we have very... Uh, enlightening contributions from our uh, from colleagues from the UK, US, Australia, Japan and Taiwan. And uh, this is a, a, uh, an important point in this book that we we put even I would say the, the point of strategic autonomy is that even on areas which are contentious, uh, delicate, difficult, we some some with our allies, sometimes we have to agree on principles to say, okay, you uh, you want to have, uh, I don't know, a, a market share of something in in, in Europe in this uh, in this area, but let's ag agree on the definition of the market share for it not to turn into a conflict. So we we should have rules. Uh, which uh, maybe are not the same for all of us, but we uh, we should trust each other. We should build trust so that we share the we share the principles, and sometimes we agree on what on what we are uh, authorized to disagree. So we, we, the the trust base for our for the, uh, the our cooperation circles are essential. And we, we should define principles and stick as much as possible to those principles. So that that, that will that, that that will be my, my final word. And uh, I would also so we will have other podcasts from from contributors to the book. I hope the, the our listeners will, will be interested in also in, in reading the book with the extended version of uh, everything we said. And we, I think that the, the book will be a significant contribution to the dialogues and conversations on strategic autonomy and European sovereignty. When the uh, publication is available, I'm going to put the link of the publication on the podcast show notes and like Professor Pogorel said we are already working on having multiple guests on the publication so that we continue this conversation then with the last words from Professor Pogorel I'll go to you Antonius please leave us also with one last message and how can people know more about this and particularly the work that ELF Secretariat does and for example your the, the unit you uh, coordinate Final thoughts, strategic, European strategic autonomy and especially digital strategic autonomy, it seems to me that we have to do work on two directions. First of all, expanding the concept, clarifying the concept of strategic autonomy, uh, what it means, what its implications are, why it is necessary. Let's call this the horizontal level. And then on a vertical level, we have to a vertical axis, yeah. We have to uh, elaborate industrial policies, what European strategic autonomy means for specific uh, policy sectors, uh, because it has different implications for military capabilities, different implications for defense uh, procurement and uh, defense cooperation, and different implications for uh, the digital the digital sector, telecommunications networks, uh, artificial intelligence, and, and, and so on. So this is what we um, are trying to do at the European Liberal Forum. 
both uh, horizontally and uh, vertically to clarify, examine, clarify, and explain, decode, as uh, the title of the upcoming study uh, goes, Decoding Digital Strategic Autonomy. The audience that is interested in these topics can, of course, follow first and foremost our social media to get, to stay updated, subscribe to our newsletters. Uh, when it comes to member organizations, also subscribe to our internal uh, newsletter, newsletter, The Liberal Wire. And of course, uh, yeah, follow us, follow us on uh, follow our social media accounts. I've been talking with Professor Gerald Progrell and Dr. Antonius Nestoris. They are the authors of the introductory chapter on this very important publication. They're also the editors of the publication with Francesco Capelletti from the ELF Secretariat. Gentlemen, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Ricardo. I'm back. Just reminded that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And now for some of the events organized by L for this month of June. From the 6th to the 8th of June, we have the event Reforming Democracy Making, How to Formalize the Citizen Deliberation and Legislative Initiative Through Digital Means. This is going to be taking place in Warsaw and is organized by the Friedrich Naumann Foundation and Project Polska. This event aims to be an exchange of good practices among practitioners that have developed digital-based citizen deliberation and legislative initiative projects. And then from the 10th to the 12th in Helsinki, we have the Liberal Communication Network Youth Edition. This is organized by ELF Secretariat and LIMEC. And this is an event also that has the objective to strengthen liberal youth with professional training, mutual learning, and exchange of best practices. To know more about this event, you just have to go to liberalforum.eu forward slash events. And this is all for now. I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. Podcast is produced by the European Liberal Forum, co-founded by the European Parliament, and has the support of the Social Liberal Movement in Portugal and Liberty Foundation in Poland. The views expressed herein are those of the speakers alone, and these views do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum.